This is Mouth Media Network, your inside voice. Hi, my name is Azim Barotawala. I'm the CEO uh, and co-founder of Volantio. And, uh, you know, and what I love about travel is the ability to, um, to meet new folks and actually see different areas of the world that you wouldn't otherwise have seen before. I really believe it broadens the horizons for folks, and it's something that I've been fortunate to have experienced from a very early age. You're listening to Travel Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the travel and hospitality industry. Welcome to Travel Is Your Business. Today, we have a dear friend near and dear to my heart, Azim, CEO of Volantio, which is a JetBlue Tech Ventures portfolio company. Um, so we're really excited to have you on the air. We've been trying for a while to get Azim on. Um, so personally, I'm very excited to I have I think you the on. email string says podcast two slash five. Oh, wow. And it's five <laughs> slash third. Well, actually, we should take out the date, but I don't know. Uh, we're in May. Yeah, we're in yeah. May. So it's, it's, it's much later. It's much later. But I think this is going to be a good one. Um, so the last time I saw you, we were in Singapore eating chili crab. Yeah. Bit of a late night. Yeah. Um, yeah. But tell me about, I think that kind of illustrates how global Volantio is. And in fact, I was with your colleague in New Zealand two weeks ago. So everywhere I go around the world, there are Volantio guys there. Tell me about building that global presence and what it's like working for a company that's just that global, New Zealand to Singapore to New York. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, thank you uh, uh, for having me here on the program. I'm really excited about that. Um, And it's a real honor to be here. So you know, I think there's just two parts of the question. You know, I guess, you know, what is it like to be uh, to be having such a global business and how, you know, how do we manage it? So I think from what it's like, it's incredibly exciting for us to be able to have today, you know, seven partners live on one of our platforms, four on the other, stretched all the way from Seattle to back around the world again to, you know, to Sydney. Um, and, you know, emerging markets, um, you know, uh, more developed markets, low-cost carriers, full-service carriers, you know, Europe, North America, Central America, everywhere, basically, you know. And uh, and for us, that's just been, it's it's been exciting. It's, it's very challenging, but it's been very exciting. I think one of the biggest challenges that we've faced is, you know, how do we do consistently deliver incredibly high um, service to our partners, given how spread out they are, and how resource constrained startups can be. And that's been definitely a challenge that we've faced. um, But we've made it work. Um, It's been a lot of I think I traveled about 290,000 miles last year, actually flown miles. Um, And I'm probably on track for more uh, this year, because two months I didn't travel last year after my wife had our our baby. So, um, so yeah, but it's 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 exhilarating, and you have to drive energy from it if you're really going to be successful. So, um, how did that how did that first process? I mean, something we see a lot in in the Voyager community too is um, startups having to be in multiple markets for their, especially for airline partners, right, and yeah. customers. Um, what did that initial process look like in getting that airline on, and what's the difference now in signing on and onboarding an airline to the to the platform? Yeah. You know, I wish I could say today that it was a lot easier than it is in the past, but it doesn't get that much easier um, 
uh, you know, at least it, it hasn't yet for us. It's still it's still a struggle a lot. Um, uh, I think getting started was probably harder because we didn't have um, any kind of name recognition. Nobody knew who we are. Luckily today, that's starting to change. Um, uh, so when we originally got started, a lot of what it was about was people trusting us. Um, I, I'd come out of working with an airline, Jetstar, uh, in Australia, and um, that was very useful because I knew a lot of folks and they trusted, um, you know, they trusted me and they, you know, by proxy trusted our company. Um, today, the challenges that we face um, are not so much kind of the trust factor. People people trust us. It's just getting on their radar screen and getting to be a priority for them. Um, and that is always a challenge. And also then navigating some of the more mundane aspects of growth, like how do you manage procurement processes? How do you manage legal processes with airlines, which can be, which can effectively kill startups if they're not managed correctly? Yeah. And you do have quite an interesting career path. I know you were in consulting, then you worked on the airline side. How has that transition been from the airline side to the startup side? Yeah, look, it's been, I appreciate the question. I mean, it's, it's not been, um, I wish I could say that, you know, one day you step out of being, you know, having spent four years at, um, you know, a management consulting firm, two years, you know, at, you know, at an airline, and then you just walk right into a startup role. And within a year, you know, you're, you're, you know, you've, you've made it. And I don't think it's like that. Uh, for me, there was the, the key differences was learn, like one of the key challenges I had was um, learning how to best deal and, and work with very creative folks. Uh, on the development side, um, and I, I'm going to just be perfectly honest with you that that's 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 difficult because the levers that you use at a place like say BCG or Jet or Jetstar to motivate people in a leadership position are very very different than the kinds of levers that you would use uh, at a startup. And learning how to appreciate those levers, how to measure success, um, and how to motivate people is something I think I'm still trying to get better at today. Well, it's a balancing act, yeah. right? Because you have your stakeholders who, because you, you've already, uh, like, you're part of the JetBlue Ventures yeah. portfolio, the obvious kind of uh, interactions that you need to to um, to meet in terms of the requirements and what the expectations are. But yeah. um, so what do you think the, le- what's the, what's the key lever that's been a, that's been kind of a, um, a pinch hit, like a kind of the. I'm going to retake that. But what's the what's the key lever for you in in bringing on new what you would consider creative uh, yeah. team members for the startup? Yeah, and I, I think I think part of it obviously is bringing on those you know those new team members. Um, part of it is also giving uh, is part of the other challenge is how do you keep people motivated on a day to day basis, um, especially in the environment of a startup where. It's a slog. It's hard. You're constantly facing challenges. You always are facing, um, uh, you know, constrained resources. And um, so, you know, keeping and and things are always changing, right? I mean, I'll give you a good example. There's situations where we've worked up 90% of uh, of a release is done. 90%. And we've, we've, we've killed ourselves to get that thing done. And then for something that has nothing to do with us, something internal to one of our partners, they decide to pull the plug on the project. Um, and that's so that can be so demoralizing for folks, especially for creative people who have spent a lot of time. So how do you tell somebody after they've given so much to get to that point, 
to then jump back on the horse again in the future and still have credibility to do that. So what I try to do um, and what uh, Fen, you know, our CTO uh, tries to do is, you know, we, we try to do a couple of things. One is make sure that people always understand the, 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 you know, the purpose of our company and the mission of our company, which, yeah. And that, you know, for us is, you know, to drive higher value for the travel industry uh, while also making customers better off. And it's very important for us to have both of those balances, more value for the travel industry, um, customers being better off. Um, And if you can always kind of have that sense of purpose of what you're working towards, I, I think it helps when there are challenges. And then the other thing is to really try to celebrate when we actually do get something across the line in the end, um, uh, because those those moments are very, um, very important for people to feel like, hey, we put in a lot of effort here and we got something, um, you know, we got something through. Um, and we've, you know, we've, we've had a few of those recently, which have been really, um, you know, exciting. Uh, and I think that gets people to, you know, like last week we went out for a team lunch. Uh, to celebrate some, you know, a, a big kind of accomplishment. And one of the developers we're sitting at Shake Shack, you know, that's unfortunately where we're doing our team lunches, but hey, it's great. <laughs> I, shake, I don't think that's you should so say unfortunately, but I just yeah. did a team lunch at Shake Shack yeah. down in Madison Square Park, yeah. literally two no, they weeks lo- ago. No, we loved it. <laughs> it's like hilarious. No, we loved it. I, I wouldn't great. say unfortunately for Shake Shack. I would say fortunately, it was a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> but we go there and we're there with the entire team. And one of our developers has brought his MacBook to lunch, I don't even have, I'm not even working, and he's sitting there jamming away on his code, tethering off of his, you know, phone to try to, like, get something out, you know? So, you know, he didn't have to do that, but he cared so much about it that he wanted to do that. It was was that important to him. I can't make somebody do that. They have to want to do that themselves. Um, and, and the only way I, I can only sort of indirectly make somebody do that, you know, by, ins- by hopefully trying to inspire them towards what it is that we're trying to do as a company. Um, and again, it's something that I, I continuously will always need to get better at. So Azim, can you talk to me about the evolution of the product and how customer demand has driven that? And then where did you guys start? Where, where did this begin? What is the origin of Volantio and how has it changed? Yeah, so that's a that's a really uh, interesting question that stretches back uh, over ten years and predates even me. <laughs> so um, I'll try to give you the very short version of the story. But the company that would eventually become Volantia was formed uh, at the end of two thousand and eight uh, in uh, by two Australians uh, in. Um, and the company was originally uh, called something different, and it was focused on online travel. And it was a it was a basically like a, a really interesting leveraging really interesting technology um, to provide better search experiences for customers online. You could do searches like Melbourne to Southeast Asia next weekend. I mean, get some really awesome results back. Great idea. Um, in fact, it was such a great idea that they were able, one of the, the first Australian team to get into Y Combinator. Uh, and they uh, were in the YC winter 2009 batch. I give them a huge amount of credit for that. And there was another comp- small company back then um, that was part of the YC 2009 batch uh, that today is called Airbnb. So uh, our company started, um, you know, all the way back then. And the company evolved from that stamp from that point in time. Fen, who you you know today, was part of that, um, and really helped you know develop a lot of really interesting early technology 
Um, I met the the guys, Fen and his co-founder, in 2013 um, in Australia, because as I mentioned, I had been working there, and had a chance to talk to them. And they had you know, found it a little bit difficult going and had really wanted to start figuring out how they could start working with airlines as opposed to being a, um, you know, consumer travel site. And, um, and after some conversations, they offered me the chance to join the company. Um, and I did, but, uh, as you know, I found out after I joined and, um, uh, you know, after working with them, the, the situation then for the company financially wasn't that great. So when we, when we started out working together, um, uh, the company on my first day when I looked at the le- balances, the company had about six thousand dollars in cash, uh, two thousand dollars in monthly recurring revenue. So these should all be statistics that are familiar <laughs> to your users, <laughs> and uh, and a and a massive amount of um, expenses that hadn't been paid. Did you know that before you accepted the offer? Out um, of curiosity, I uh, I probably. Uh, no, I, no. I don't. Um, Usually, people are yeah. pretty. Uh, yeah. like, <laughs> Listen, <laughs> it's, I, it's a turnaround job. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I didn't, um, and no. that's you know, I mean, you know, I, 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 but it's fine, you know. Even if I did, I probably would have still taken the job. To be one hundred percent honest with you, because it's not often that you get a chance to run something. You know, to me, that means so much, and the fact that these uh, two founders. Um, as regardless of the shape of the company, uh, had the trust to entrust their baby in my hands was an honor. Uh, and that's the way that I saw it. Um, so when I saw that, I didn't want to run in the opposite direction. In fact, I wanted to work with them to try to take something that they had started building and make it, uh, make it even better. And that's where we started out. So uh, in fact, on the first day that I joined, the designer walked in about 20 minutes after I, I had joined and uh, said he had to quit because, um, you know, because he hadn't been paid. And uh, so that was a very challenging situation for all of us. Luckily for us, we were we were able to raise some capital pretty quickly um, and, and get the, uh, the business going again. And, um, and, and, and our first product, to answer your question, was um, a marketing automation product that we developed out of the technology that had been used for the consumer uh, product and so right. that was spe- specifically marketing automation for the travel space for the travel was space. It, okay. Yeah, gotcha. so it was it was, a, it was a system that that sent out price alerts to customers. Got it. Um, and it worked really well. Um, and in fact, <laughs> it's funny how we got started because I I went to see my old boss at Jetstar, and I showed him some data that we had from the consumer side, and he loved it so much. So when can I license this? And that was the genesis of our company um, back in two thousand and thirteen. And um, we went from there, and within two years, the company had become cash flow positive um, by 2015. Um, and obviously, we'd had some evolutions along the way. Some people left. Um, you know, obviously, of that original two-person team, Fen is is with us today, and he's really been dro- the he's been the technical inspiration of our company for the last 11 years. It's really been amazing to work with him. So, in early 2016, this is a really great story to I think other founders out there as well. I was sitting, uh, having breakfast at the, uh, at I think it's the Hilton that's right ac- next to the Virgin America headquarters and, uh, you know, right next to the San Francisco airport and um, just having breakfast with somebody there. And he said to me, um, hey, Azim, he worked for Virgin America. Uh, and he said, Azim, you guys are doing something interesting today, but you could be doing so much more. Um, and today he's the vice president of revenue management at Alaska Airlines. Uh, and he 
he was the one who gave us the idea for for the business that we're focused on today, which is um, which is really helping airlines monetize the roughly call it hundred billion dollars plus of 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 seats that fly empty every single year. So if you look up, you know, today in the skies, you're gonna know about three hundred million dollars of seats are flying empty every single day, and that's the challenge that we're trying to solve. How do you fill more of those seats? Um, and uh, he gave us the idea. You know, he said, you guys should focus on this challenge. You have all the pieces in place to work on it. Um, and I give him a lot of credit. Kevin Gurr was his name. And, uh, and we're still working with him today at Alaska Airlines. So uh, we started working on that in 2016. And, you know, about three years later, you know, we've raised uh, money from some great investors like JTV and, and others. And we're, we're moving forward. That's great. That's really exciting. I want to I snack on that a little bit more. But before we do... I see that you brought us a snack. Yeah. So could you tell us a little bit about it? Well, uh, it's popcorn. Um, <laughs> All right. That, that should be, uh, hopefully you guys can see that. It's uh, <laughs> So I, I eat a lot of popcorn, let's be honest. Uh, I'm happy to admit it. I, I love popcorn. It's absolutely my favorite snack. Uh, I will oftentimes uh, f- in, f- uh, end my day um, making popcorn and then sitting down and doing some work, unfortunately, before I go to bed. But... Um, but yeah, but I, I I don't buy popcorn. I make popcorn, and I don't just make popcorn like in a like uh you know like in a microwave. I usually make it like in a kettle. So this is fresh made popcorn that I brought from home for this session today that I that that I made. So I wanted to share a, a homemade snack with you guys. I love that. Yeah. made with made with love. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, it was made with a lot of love. Let's get into it. to laugh do you love great interviews with a lot of heart do you like good stories do you like to hear about life well good news because if you listen to a show called funny people talking all of that happens right danielle all of it happens every single thing you said on that list and more elsie does any of it not happen it all happens Come on, Elsie. Okay. It right. really happens. Okay, well, you should join us on Funny People Talking on Mouth Media Network. You can find us anywhere you can find a great podcast. And I know it's true because these people loved it. <laughs> Only for a short time while they were listening to the show, Then Life Sucked. Listen to Funny People Talking. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes at travelisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Yeah. This popcorn really is, it feels like it's made with love. It's really good. Um, it's really good. Is there anything different you do with this? Well, um... I can't share all my secrets. Right? <laughs> you know, that's what this, uh, you know. Uh, so I, uh, I, I use, I always use um, real butter, which gives it a much better flavor. So this actually has melted butter, like Mary's Irish butter, yeah. like some special special. I actually sauce. had that butter recently when I was in Ireland, and it was really good. Um, it was, uh, it was, it was very tasty. I was like, you know, what? How's Irish butter in Ireland gonna taste? And it did taste better. Um, uh, but I, <laughs> God, I would hope so. <laughs> I um, no, I just use regular, regular store bought butter. I melt it 
I put it in, give it some time to seep in, put some salt in, then I shake the whole thing around in the pot. Um, so yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's it. good. That, I mean, that's why I like eating. And it's, it's sometimes it's really nice in a steel bowl. Mm. I see here you have steel glasses and the we do. things things taste better in steel randomly. I, I don't know why. Yeah, it's also better for the environment generally oh. to, buy, to make those because you can rewash them and stuff. Yeah. So you're you're a, you're a forward thinking guy. Yeah. I would like to hear a little bit about um, how you're how, you know how you're thinking of the future for for this company. And well, you guys just had um, you've had some great momentum recently. You had an announcement recently. Maybe you want to tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. So you know the announcement that uh, that we made a couple of weeks ago was uh, we believe is going to be quite transformational for our business. And um, as, as you know, I'm, I'm sure you uh, you know you know we announced that um, Amadeus, which is the global leader in uh, in travel technology, mm-hmm. um, great is, partner of ours as well. Yeah, is is um, not only making an investment in our business, which we believe is a is a great indication from them about their belief in what we're doing, um, but they're also um, we've also signed a partnership with them uh, uh, and a commercial partnership, and via that commercial partnership, um, we will be more seamlessly integrated with their Altea platform, uh, and they have over I think a hundred airlines in the world. I don't even know how many they have there on Altea. Um, and the reason that that's important from, from you know, if we think about where we are today, what are the key challenges to growth for a company like ours? There, there's a couple, right? And we believe that this partnership will address those. Because if it was just about money, we, we probably wouldn't have, you know, put as much time and effort into it, though we really appreciate the money aspect of it. Um, it's really both things working together. Well, it's, a, it's interesting because one of the first things I would think of is um, – is how you manage um, distressed inventory or, or even just the revenue from these reservations across GDS. So yeah. if you have this alignment, yeah. um, then it, it could really open that up. So is it that you guys will be kind of sandboxing products around that, or is it that you already have a product that you can kind of plug into yeah. um, Altea and everything? They, they both really address challenges that we face. So challenge number one we face, very lengthy integration timeframes with airlines. As you know, airlines very resource constrained internally have a lot of priorities so getting on their on their radar screen is challenging this partnership is going to dramatically um, reduce implementation time frames for Altea partners and what that means is that it de-risks for them working with a company like ours and that's very important because when they're doing internal business cases and they think about how many resources are required to work with us it's less because we have this um, much uh, more seamless integration in place with Altea. The second major challenge that we face is uh, understanding kind of the internal workings of the airlines better, and um, and and having uh, you know a better, uh, just a generally better understanding of the industry. You know, we're humble enough to realize that you know we don't know it all when it comes to that. And the partnership with Amadeus and the ability to work with their key account managers with each individual airline, um, we've already seen is facilitating much more much richer discussions with uh, with airlines. So those two things, we believe, are kind of critical aspects. Now, when you combine an investment in there, um, it really sort of completes the picture, and it, it makes um, us, we believe, in, in a very good position going forward to expand this platform in the airline space. And we haven't even talked about all the other things that we want to work on even beyond airlines. Yeah, so to that note, 
um, outside of the aviation space, yeah. inventory is something that is present everywhere and, yeah. and distressed inventory in particular. Yeah. Thinking about in the hospitality space, the F&B space, do you see Valentio potentially scaling into other verticals? Yeah, you know, absolutely. And, and you know, what we look at is it isn't just about it isn't just about distressed uh, inventory. It is about for us when we look at our business about two key two key challenges, right? Um, one is how do you fill as many seats as possible on your aircraft on an air, on an asset that has a fixed amount of capacity and variable demand, variable pricing, right? And there are many industries, as you mentioned, that have that hotels. Um, Broadway uh, theaters, um, you know, cargo ships, cargo aircraft. I mean, there's so many industries that have perishable inventory, um, variable demand and variable pricing. Um, So part of it is how do you you fill as much of that as possible? And that's where you get to the, as I mentioned, $100 billion plus that's kind of flying around empty every day. Then the other thing that you think about is for each one of those seats that you're filling on an airplane, how do you maximize the unit revenue on each one of those? And those are the two things that we're really trying to solve. Fill as much capacity as possible and uh, and really kind of maximize the value of each one of those seats while also making travelers better off. Um, and, you know, the way that we do that really is um, enabling airlines to um, to take an asset that today is completely illiquid, which is an airline seat. There is no liquidity. If I If I have this MacBook here and I want to sell it to somebody else, I can do that. If I have an airline ticket, I can't. Um, And inject liquidity back into the system. That's one thing that we're doing that allows airlines to basically be maximizing the revenue throughout the booking curve. Then when you look at the empty seats, by having a better process in place to, um, to move passengers between flights, which is what our platform enables, you enable airlines to, um, to, to, effectively um, push forward uh, the the level at which they're selling. I want to just be a little bit careful here, by the way, when we're going through this, because I don't want to have airlines thinking that, or like customers, or people who are listening to think that we're trying to like screw over customers. So just FYI, when you're mm-hmm. going back into the editing. So I think, um, I think you, it, yeah. to clarify that for yeah. yourself, you could probably say something along the lines of like, and by rebooking them, we can also optimize for the best prices for, you know, the, for the, value exchange yeah something like that yeah and and so by you know by rebooking them on on alternative flights for the from the airline standpoint we're able to create a system which enables them to you know fill the most amount of seats as they can across all their aircraft a great example of this is you might have a flight that um reliably is at 100 percent and has excess demand and one that's always at 70 or 75 percent full um and has excess space what our platform is doing is matching those two flights up and making it easier to move people from one to the other. And nobody likes that experience of going to the airport and finding out once you're at the gate that your plane's been oversold. Um, We're hoping to make that uh, a thing of the past. Mm. Bess, you were talking about different types of inventory, not just across verticals, but like even the the types of airline seats. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be curious, like, what are you thinking about the, the trends across, like, the difference between a low-cost uh, carrier seat and the long hauls, all that jazz. Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting as you see more and more low-cost carriers pop up, especially like the European market. There were so many that have come about in the last 10 years. 
Um, and you're starting to see the U.S. kind of copycat that market. Um, and what happened in Europe is prices went down significantly. You haven't seen that happen yet here, um, but I think that may shift. So I'm interested to hear how you guys think about that in your business, just trends in the space with more low-cost carriers than some going under, yeah. right? And then um, as far as longer-haul carriers, these more kind of luxurious upscale airlines, did they still experience these same issues? Will they continue to experience these issues? Yeah. I know, Bess, you were asking about kind of the other the other verticals. So I'll, I'll give you a great example of one that kind of has come out of, you know, discussions that we've had recently with partners, which is how does the interplay work for an airline between cargo and um, and uh, and kind of passengers on a flight? Um, so, you know, there is a huge opportunity for airlines to basically maximize the cargo space as well, which is you know below the deck uh, for airlines. Um, and, and that's something that we're actively looking at that you wouldn't really think about, but has a similar dynamic. We've also been reached out to by folks like that, you know, that, that own theaters here in New York that are saying, hey, you know, Friday night's always sold out. If I could just move some of those folks from Friday to a Saturday matinee and offer them a dinner on a Friday night, that would be great. Um, so and as we, we talked about hotels, similar dynamic. Um, so there's so much here for but as an entrepreneur, you have to be really focused. You can't always just be running in 100 different directions. Otherwise, you just you just won't be successful. Um, but, uh, you know, back to the other question around um, the, uh, you know, kind of long haul, low cost, low cost versus sort of uh, sort of the various stratification of the industry and things and how we see that um, maybe how our tool fits in. There's definitely different dynamics for low cost carriers, long haul carriers, uh, long haul full service carriers um, and, and the different kind of players in the space. Um and Europe is very different to the U.S. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the U.S. and if it kind of goes in that same direction with more like proliferation of the ultra low cost carrier model. I think some of the key differences, if you want to call them out, are that load factors tend to be, which is the percentage of seats filled on an airplane, tend to be higher on low cost carriers in general than they do on full service carriers. Though yields, um, which is the revenue per available seat mile, tend to be lower, obviously, because the fares are lower. Um, so... Because load factors are higher, there's sometimes more opportunity to drive incremental profit by moving people around. Right. Um, but the profitability per move tends to be a little bit lower. The point is, is that our platform can 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 help in in, in both regards to drive that incremental profitability for the you know for the carriers. Um, in terms of the business models, I mean this this has less to do about our business and just more about things that I care about. Uh, you know, as an avid follower of the aviation space, I mean, I think. Um, I think it's gonna be really interesting to see what happens. I, you know, I know JetBlue is going to be entering the the transatlantic market, and I think that's a market that's ripe for disruption. Uh, when I want to fly from Atlanta to London, I typically can't find a fare for under. You know, I, I don't fly in business, but sometimes I just aspirationally look, and it's usually never less than nine thousand dollars for that flight. Um, that's insane. Yeah, it is insane. I was nine thousand dollars. Yeah, Atlanta to London yeah. business. Yeah. yeah, round trip. Round trip. Uh, yeah. So I guess you get the return flight. Um, that, that's something. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I mean, it's 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 and New York is is just as bad uh, with competition. 
you know, there's not too much competition, unfortunately, out of Atlanta. So, uh, so it's, it's a challenge. And I think that um, it's great to see, in my mind, more entrants getting into the space. And I hope that, um, that there's going to be more opportunities for, for carriers to, you know, to jump in. Um, I think our models, gonna, uh, from a business standpoint, I think that all of these things are going to be beneficial, you know, for us. Um, despite the model of the carrier, all carriers globally face similar challenges about how do we drive the most revenue as we can out of the, the tube that we're flying and how do we fill as many seats as possible. Yeah. It'll be interesting. There's like, um, uh, you know, transatlantic right now, there's the um, all business class yeah. option as well now with like La Compagnie and... Um, yeah. Oh, there was one before that was the same founders, but that'll be, I mean, yeah, yeah, same, same, um, uh, same dilemma, of course, of of revenue management, especially if the price per ticket is like, so, um, is so like closely matched to cost, I think. Right. Um, but it'll be interesting. Yeah. So we've, we've gotten into pretty, um, pretty specific detail about the company and, um, and just generally about, uh, Lentios, what's, uh, what's going on with the platform, but, um, maybe we could switch gears, talk a little bit more about like having the company, um, yeah. and, and what it's been like to shift gears back from when it felt like a turnaround job to now, you know, being the founder of this, of this, um, of this company from those early stages to, to now being able to announce that you're you know going to be rolling out GDS integrations and yeah. you've had incredible investments from JTV and Amadeus. So, can you tell us a little bit about what what that journey's been like for you? You know, I like to I like to think of life before being part of a startup and life after being part of a startup. <laughs> you know, wow. um, and I mean, for for folks out there that are listening to this, I mean, uh, you know, you know, when I worked at at BCG or when I worked at at Jetstar, um, there was never a doubt that twice a month, roughly, I would get my paycheck. Never. You know, it was like, you know, I, I know what I signed up for. Here's my contract and here's what I'm going to get paid. But now, you know, you know, in our company, even today, I mean, less so today, thankfully, but, you know, back in the day, especially, you know, there was <laughs> you're sitting there and you're not you're really sweating. Am I actually going to be able to to pay myself? I didn't take a salary for the first four months that I was with the company. I didn't even pay myself at all. For four months until I was able to actually raise the capital that we needed to to get to to stabilize things. Shows um, your character, by yeah. the way. And well, thanks. And I mean, and 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 that's hard. And, and it's not just me. Like I, you know, you you have a sense of responsibility to everybody that you've hired because you've you've sold them on something, and now it's your responsibility at the end of the day when you put your pillow down or you head to the pillow at night to to deliver. Um, and that. That is that can be stressful, but it can also be exhilarating because, you know, the exhilarating part is doing things like this, getting to really talk about what you're doing, working on something you really, really care about. So um, and, and you know, I like to talk about sort of the concept of, of of empathy and why having like to be in my mind successful as a company, you really have to have, in my mind, a good sense of, of empathy for for other folks. Not just the folks that you are working with, obviously that's that's an obvious one, but also for the folks that are that whose problem you are solving, right? That is so important. If you can't empathize with those people, and the reason I love what I do is because I empathize with the people whose problem I believe our company is solving, both travelers 
and the airlines because I've been part, I, I mean, I travel every day and I've worked at an airline. So to me, that is really inspiring. That's what kind of keeps you going through the times when you are just feeling like you, your head's been smashed into a wall and you're, you know, you're really kind of running into something and, you know, you've been going on with a procurement person for, you know, 15 months as we have with one of our partners. I mean, it's just, it, you know, those kinds of things can really weigh you down. But uh, it lifts your spirits when you know that you're actually, when you can empathize with the folks that you're trying to help. I love that. And, and what what has led to that mind shift for you? Do you look at other certain, certain entrepreneurs um, that have gotten you to that place mentally to have such a positive outlook? Because I have to say, not every founder feels that way. Yeah. I agree. So, you know, I... I uh, <laughs> I give credit to, you know, to uh, a few folks, the, uh, you know, Fen, uh, who's our CTO and his, um, his good friend, uh, and an early partner, Tom Howard, who founded this company and went to Y Combinator, like they, you know, I, I can say that, hey, I, I got to work on something from 2013 onwards, they deserve a lot of credit for keeping this thing alive, even to that point. So yes, it may not have been in the best financial state back then, but they kept it alive to that, that, that point, And they deserve a huge amount of credit for that. Um, but to me, one of the greatest inspirations that I've had uh, as an entrepreneur has been, I see on your shelf here, you have the book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things by, um, by Ben Horowitz. Um, and to me, that, uh, that book is, is just, when I read it, it just, it just spoke to me. It was, the, it was a book that really... That's well, convenient placement. Yeah, it's great. I saw it up there. <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's even hard to kind of read the title from here. But I was like, hey, I know that book because I carried it in my bag around the world as I was trying to find, you know, five minutes here, 10 minutes here, half an hour here when I was tired to read it. And the reason, just to say, I mean, it's not just about it being a book, but the reason I think everybody should read that and why it, it is meant a lot to me personally is um, because it, um, it talks about the struggle. And I think the last line of the book uh, is, it, there's a chapter, I think it's the last one in the book or something that says, uh, uh, it's called The Struggle, and it says, Embrace the Struggle. So if you're not ready to embrace the struggle and 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 really embrace the hard thing about hard things, you're just not gonna it's, it's you're not gonna make it. And to me, that is is uh, is so important. There's gonna be so many hurdles that come up along the way. And he talks about the ones that he faced uh, along his career. Um, uh, he was not kind of an overnight success. He had to go through a lot to get there. And reading that kind of gives me a lot of strength to know that hey. Um, you know, I like if that, that there is there can be really great light at the end of sometimes what can seem like a long tunnel. Entrepreneurista, a woman who organizes and operates a business, taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. One who has a drive, passion, and vision with an undying determination to succeed. She is fiercely motivated, ambitious, and competitive, forging her own path to independence and success. That's an entrepreneurista. Through the conversations on the Entrepreneurista podcast, we want to celebrate failures, reflect on successes, and get unfiltered about what it takes to be your own boss. This is the Entrepreneurista podcast presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneurspodcast.com.
Azim, it's very clear that you're an av geek. Um, Azim is even wearing aircraft uh, cufflinks right now. <laughs> yeah. Really, literally, your heart on your sleeve. Um, so, what is your favorite airline to fly? And what is your dream experience, like your wish list mm. aviation experience? Yeah. So, um, I love, uh, I really love flying uh, in couple of couple of airlines really kind of I think I've, I've really enjoyed one kind of one international carrier I really love flying on is Cathay uh, Cathay Pacific um, I'm fortunate to have uh, Emerald status on one world which means I can use the very this amazing lounge in Hong Kong um, where you can kind of get a massage and everything before you go on the plane which is really nice for a long-haul flight um, and uh, and yeah I mean I've, I've really you know I, I love that but my dream um, is to sit in the uh, in the um, in the cockpit uh, for of a seven four seven four hundred uh, aircraft uh, for a landing, um, ideally uh, like a night landing at somewhere like SFO or JFK. To me, that would be the the coolest thing ever to be able to sit in the jump seat. Um, unfortunately, um, I, I I don't think it's gonna be possible. There was a <laughs> there was a time when I worked at Jetstar where I had the ability to sit in the cockpit and jump seat. But unfortunately, I wasn't able to to do a, a 747 jump seat at the time. And the 747 is on its way out anyway, unfortunately. We'll have to find the next, the next plane that you're going to want to yeah. be in the cockpit for. That is an extremely specific experience. Yeah, yeah. wow. I'm glad I asked. <laughs> That's true. I think about these things. You know, I, I definitely think about these things. <laughs> well, I, um, I have a, a question for you as yeah. well. So you brought a little bit of of home here to the yeah. to the um, to hang out with us. Yeah. Um, I'd be curious. You know, you've you've gone to a lot of places um, besides Atlanta, where you are now around Atlanta. Um, what do you feel like the place that you've traveled that felt the most like home to you? Yeah, home uh, away from home, if you will. Yeah. Well, and my- why? <laughs> uh, well, I'd be remiss if I didn't say uh, Philadelphia because that's where my wife and nine-month-old baby live. So uh, okay, so let's say that's home. Yeah, <laughs> where's home away from home? Yeah, uh, and and Atlanta's my kind of company home right now um, until we're reunited again. Um, but you know, honestly, my one of my favorite places to travel to, and this may sound like a cop out, um, given my uh, my ethnicity is is India. I I love. I just I love absolutely love going to India. Not only because I get a chance to see family when I go there, but also because I just love the food. I love the energy. I love the craziness. Um, it's one of those places that really s- that stimulates you. And sorry, so that's my ethnic kind of home away from home. I, I'm like I'm I'm sort of fudging this answer here because I'm answering lots of places. <laughs> no, that's great. But when I was 17 years old in high school, I hated speaking Spanish. And this this story is going to have an ending. Um, <laughs> I am, I am putting this somewhere, Perfect. but this is really important for you to know about me. So I, I had no interest in, in studying Spanish, um, and I had really great teachers at my high school who encouraged me to do an exchange program in, uh, in Costa Rica. And that was the first time that I ever really had traveled on my own outside of the U.S., uh, you know, other than going to India to see family. And I did it. And I went down to Costa Rica for three weeks, uh, and I lived with a family in their house. And you asked me at the beginning what I love about travel, and I kind of gave this answer that probably lots of people have given before. But this this is personal to me. Going to going to Costa Rica for those three weeks, 
like instilled this passion for Latin America. I absolutely love Latin America. I I um I I lived with the family. I remember the morning I woke up and I realized that if I couldn't speak Spanish, I was not going to be able to communicate with the mother, host mother there and tell her what I wanted for breakfast. And that's when it clicked. I need to learn Spanish. So I, today I speak Spanish, Portuguese, both. Um, and, uh, you know, I've lived in Brazil. I've lived in Argentina. I've lived in a lot of places in, in South America. So South America is kind of my my other home away from home. And as I mentioned, as we got started here, I have also uh, in a prior life hosted a salsa merengue radio show because I love the music right. um, from uh, Latin America as well as, you know, bossa nova music from Brazil. So some fun factoids about me and what I what I really care about. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, thank you. Thank you again for coming and hanging out with with me and Bess. I, I'd be curious. So um, is there a way that somebody could get in touch with the work that you're you're doing um, at Valentio? Yeah, I mean, you know, folks can just email me directly if they want. It's my name, uh, Azim, A-Z-I-M at Volantio.com. And um, yeah, I mean, that's the easiest way to, you know, to reach me. So Start up right. We cut out all the the filters. Yeah, the layers. yeah. Make make yourself accessible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Our, um, and is there like a final thought that you'd like to share? Could be a reflection on what we've talked about today, or could be just about your experiences overall. Yeah, you know it, that's a great question, and I feel like I always have something I can say. But I, I you know, I, I think the the thing that I would most, um, I, I think the biggest takeaway. I hope. For folks that are listening, you know, uh, from various aspects of the travel uh, industry, not just airlines, but others are that, you know, if you want like the next wave of innovation and uh, is really going to come through partnerships with companies like ours. Um, it's not, you know, you can do a lot of things yourselves, but partnering and finding a way to do partnerships with companies like ours, which is something that JetBlue's done well. IAG's done, Qantas, all folks that have invested us, and now Amadeus as well, really enables these big corporate companies to unlock and unleash the passion that folks like like companies like ours bring to the table. So uh, I would just encourage companies out there that are thinking about innovation to think about reaching out to companies like ours and others to see if we can be helpful in solving some of your challenges. And that's kind of my final thought. That's terrific. Perfect. Ethos. Wonderful. Thank you for coming to, 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 to join us on the show today, Azim. Great. Thanks. It's great to be here. My co-host, Bess Chapman. Happy trails. I'm your co-host, John Matson. Bon voyage. This has been Travel is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes at travelisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, your inside voice.